0: Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this roadshow podcast, the Campaign for Social Science aims to raise the profile of social science in the public, media, and Parliament in the context of changes to the funding of teaching and research. For those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm Louise I'm the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Bath, and it's a great pleasure for me to welcome you here to this presentation and discussion <coughs> today. What we're gonna do is we're gonna hear about the Campaign for Social Sciences, which is very much associated with the Academy of Social Sciences. Um, You will not be at all surprised, since I am an academician myself, I am a social scientist myself, that this campaign is very close to my own heart. I think it's timely that we are doing something along these lines now there has been over the last two decades a significant erosion in the sort of support that social sciences have received at a time when social sciences have become ever more influential through their multidisciplinary connections and through their impact on social policy and general policy development so there's a strange irony here as we become more influential and more significant and more important Uh, people seek to make us do it on the cheap. Now, I've noticed that before, um, but I'm sure that as a consequence of the campaign for social sciences, that process is going to be reversed. It's my great pleasure as a consequence to introduce to you, welcome to the University of Bath, Professor Michael Harlow, who is a member of the board of the Academy of Social Sciences and the campaign for social sciences. Many of you will know that Michael was for, I think, 12 years the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Salford. He's a great social scientist in his own right and certainly can speak with great authority on what's been happening in our world over the last few years. Um, In addition, we have Stephen Anderson, who is the uh, Executive Director of the Academy of Social Sciences, and whose background is in business and finance, I understand, and who is likely to want to talk to us about money. Now, <laughs> since that is not anathema in this university in any way whatsoever, I'm sure that we'll be delighted to hear from him. And our third speaker today is Jay Miller, who you all know as um, Professor of Social Policy, but also Pro Vice-Chancellor of Research for the University. So what I'm going to do is, first of all, hand over to uh, Professor Harlow to speak first, and then I think that Mr Anderson will follow on. Michael.
1: Thank you. First, I'd like to thank all of you who've taken the time to come to this presentation of the Campaign for Social Science, and obviously, express our thanks to you, Glims, for your support, and Jane and Maria, the other university staff, have helped about this event. Um, this is, of course, one of our most distinguished academicians, and it's good to see that this... You had to say <laughs> <laughs> It's true. <laughs> okay, the second half of the census, I'm sure you'll agree with anyway, which is that it's very good that this university has such a strong contingent of academicians, which, which it does, and a number of them here. Uh, yeah today, Malcolm Johnson in particular, who serves on the uh, Council of the Academy. Good to see you here. The Campaign for Social Science aims to raise the profile of social science in the, public, uh, in the eyes of the public, the media of Parliament. It was launched at the House of Lords last January, uh, and this is one of a series of roadshows we've been holding at universities across the country, um, to introduce campaign to our colleagues in the social sciences uh, to seek your views on what the key issues are and how we should shape the campaign. And yes, coming to the money issue, but not only money, to seek your continuing support, financial, moral, professional in every way for the campaign to is now I think getting some real momentum. Um, I said that the campaign aims to raise the profile of Social science to the public, but the fact that we need to do this seems odd, and I think this has already touched on this. Given the fact that our news media is full of the raw material for social science and uh, frequently engages social scientists in helping journalists to make sense of this all and, and politicians, so whether the politicians come out of the sense is another matter. At the launch of the campaign, our president, Howard Newby, reflected on this and suggested that we're now in the same situation that the, in the social sciences where the STEM subjects were about 15 to 20 years ago. Then they felt undervalued and underappreciated, and they recognised that there was a lack of public understanding of what the STEM disciplines concentrated, uh, uh, sorry, contributed to society and its development. Among the other responses to this, a group of scientists formed Save British Science, which is now called the Campaign for Science and Engineering, has proved to be an extremely effective lobbyist and publicist for STEM. Through a sustained effort to promote public understanding, not just relying on political and private lobbying in elite circles, the STEM scientists and their learning societies, which represent them, fostered not only a higher public understanding of science, but have raised the esteem with which these disciplines are viewed, notably though not only in regard to their contribution to the knowledge economy. As Howard commented, of course the new knowledge economy doesn't only depend on STEM subjects, it also requires qualities of innovation, creativity and enterprise across all disciplines. And we need to continue to produce generations of social science researchers and graduates who can contribute to the wider knowledge economy in terms of management, design, social impact, social change, understanding the social underpinnings of new technology, new markets, and so on and so forth. This is, of course, just one example of the case to be made for the social sciences, albeit the one that probably has most resonance with government in these times. But there's one very immediate demonstration, perhaps, of the fact that we haven't yet successfully made the case. It's about to be revealed with the publication, I think, at the beginning of December, of the second leg of the government's higher education white papers, the Innovation and Research White Paper. I'm told this will focus almost exclusively on the contribution the STEM disciplines could or should make to innovation and national economic growth. With very little recognition of what social science has to offer. It will be interesting to see if the white paper even shows any evidence of the fact that innovation is a social, not just a technological process, and that social science is the key to understanding what it is and how it might be fostered. There is, of course, a second element to the case that we want to be making, not just the utility of the social sciences in the UK. But also their excellence. The UK social science research base in this country is second only to that of the USA. Among the evidence that supports this claim are the international benchmarking studies that the research councils carry out from time to time, among other things, to provide an input into their negotiations regarding public expenditure. Since 2005, there have been a series of ESRC reviews which clearly show that we have a genuinely world-class social science base. The most recent of these surveys on psychology concluded that it's first class and to quote it, some areas unsurpassed anywhere in the world. The next one which is going to be published soon is on human geography, and I'm pretty certain that that will come to a very similar, a very, very similar verdict. <coughs> There's other recent evidence as well. Um, Embarrassed though I am about quoting this, I will do, just because one of us does make one's case and forgets it. But it doesn't. I refer to the recently published Times Higher Education World University Rankings. Lists the top 50 universities in the social sciences, arts and humanities, engineering, the physical life and medical sciences respectively, taking into account teaching research and other measures of performance. <clears throat> Not quite sure how this alchemy is done, but it's done anyway. <laughs> in the social sciences, the UK has nine of the top 50 institutions, according to the Times Higher, second only to the US with 28. Australia comes third with five universities included. Interestingly, the arts and humanities and life sciences also have nine in the top 50 followed closely by the medical sciences. That's a poor way of saying that social science and humanities in this country appear to be particularly strong. (coughs) I think perhaps a a, a better source is the uh, the UK's international ranking for research is to be found in a recent report that Biz published uh, two or three months ago, International Comparative Performance of the UK Research Base, 2011. This confirms that the UK's strength in the social sciences is second only to that of the USA, and that this strength is growing over time. Some time series data you can... It's quite interesting to look at the report, and particularly its appendices. Interestingly, although the figures are not broken down by discipline, the report shows overall that there are just under six times the number of researchers in all disciplines in the US compared to the UK, so that gives you some idea of the relative size of the systems overall. Obviously, the United States is about five or six times a Among the key points concerning the social sciences in the research are that over the period 2000 to 2010, the UK social sciences had an increasing share of the world output of academic papers. It's produced a high share of the most highly cited articles, The average number of citations per article has also risen significantly in recent years and exceeds the average figure for the USA by a growing margin. On a more sophisticated measure of field-weighted citations, which take account of different citation practices between fields, on which the report notes are preferable to simple citation counts, the UK social sciences perform better than all other G8 nations including the USA. The report also contains an innovative analysis of national research that complements citation based analyses. Instead of taking social science as a whole, this is breaking it down into specific fields of expertise at a more micro level. And they create a visual research map of the distinctive research strengths of a country that particularly focuses on interdisciplinary outcomes. But the UK, this identifies over 400 specific areas of research in which the UK is very strong by international standards. And it shows that the UK is especially strong in medical health sciences, humanities, and social sciences. Finally, the report presents a compelling series of indicators demonstrating the very high productivity of UK research as a whole. Comparing the various indicators of research output, with the resources spent on research. The UK is again a world leader. There are various other indicators that I could have drawn on. Just one which is quite interesting is a recent report by UNESCO on scholarly publishing which shows that a very high proportion of the social science journals published in the world are published in the UK. And again, that obviously reflects our strength in the social sciences. So. The campaign is about ensuring that the public, the media, and the decision makers increasingly come to recognise both the relevance and the excellence of UK social science. Both the relevance and the excellence. I think at that point, as an appropriate point, is to turn it over to Stephen, who's going to talk more about what we're actually doing with the campaign. Thanks very much.
2: Yes.
3: Good. Well, uh, good afternoon everyone, and like Michael, I'm uh, delighted to be here today and uh, delighted to have your hospitality and a wonderful organisation uh, for this event. And we could see the sign, the signage uh, for here all over the campus as we came in, and Um, As you'll see later, we've been to quite a few places, but I have to say that it's certainly the signage. um, It's been superb. Um, (laughs) Otherwise, you might still be wondering. I want to talk about some of the particular aspects uh, of the campaign, and both um, Linus and Michael have referenced uh, the strategic context. uh, About 12 months ago, the, um, and I hope you'll be able to see uh, the screen, and more more importantly, actually read what's um, written on the slides. Um, But about 12 months ago, the Academy Council was reviewing um, the position, uh, the strategic context of social science, and made a number of observations. And I think the first is to say that um, there was a very widespread view Based on evidence that um, social science was not being sufficiently valued uh, by politicians um, and uh, it either wasn't named and identified as such or um, it was sort of thought to be co- common sense anyway. So um, that I think is a significant um, challenge for social science is the in terms of public understanding, it's political understanding of social science. Um, and allied to that, there it was no longer a senior voice within government to make the case for social science. Um, <coughs> Professor Paul Wiles had retired as the chief social scientific advisor to the government um, and was not replaced at the same level, and the role was split. Um, between uh, two people who are both incredibly able, but they have other jobs as well, um, and um, they were they were not of of the same level of seniority um, as Paul Wiles, and that's important for issues in relation to access to ministers uh, and such like. Um, and that that is uh, quite a concern that there is no uh, within a network of um, something like two dozen uh, departmental scientific advisors. There's no chief social scientific advisor uh, in government at the present time. Uh, A third sort of observation that we had was that um, social scientists were not being called on sufficiently, in our view, to give evidence um, to relevant uh, select committees. Um, And uh, that, that itself was of a concern. Allied to that, though, um, we haven't been sort of terribly good at speaking up for social science, um, and there is certainly not a central media group um, who uh, are able to speak for social science in quite the concerted way um, that uh, the stem subjects seem to achieve. There are particular issues about fund, uh, the funding regime in universities at the present time, but there was a, there's a real concern for postgraduate social science funding for that um, and the need to ensure that there is going to be um, a competent group of people coming forward um, for the next generation and beyond. And finally, Um, there are issues about the maintenance and continuity of data sets, particularly longitudinal studies, um, and there's a need to uh, ensure that they are um, maintained. So against those kind of um, challenges, particular challenges, and the overall context, as Michael said, the campaign was launched um, at the House of Lords on the 20th of January this year. Uh, we had a packed audience, um, we had uh, very eminent speakers, two of whom we're going to hear from now. So we're going to play two very short clips um, of David Willits speaking, and then followed by Trevor Phillips. You can watch, uh, uh, listen and watch the rest of uh, uh, that presentation from Trevor Phillips, and indeed all of the presentations are available on the website campaignforsocialscience.org.uk, and you can see uh, what each of the uh, speakers um, had to say. So, January this year, we launched the campaign. It was sponsored by the Academy of Social Sciences, but launched as a semi-autonomous campaign, and much more with a remit for advocacy uh, rather than dissemination. The campaign plan um, extends to uh, something close to 20 pages, and I just want to share with you some uh, extracts. And the first is to say, what are we about? Well, it's about raising the public profile of social science to ensure uh, it is better identified, understood, and appreciated. And we've set for five for the next five years Um, The following external objectives. Uh, We're looking to influence public policy with uh, evidence, to be regularly in the news and commenting from a social science perspective on topical issues, uh, to be in a position to speak with authority on the state of social science here in the UK um, and promoting the benefits of investment in social science education and research. And a light to that, uh, there are internal objectives. Um, we've obviously got to create an organization that's capable of delivering to the external objectives. And by 2016, five years time, we have got to be securing funding of the order of a quarter of a million pounds a year. Um, if we are to run a campaign on a similar sort of basis, a similar level, to that uh, being run by the campaign for science and engineering. And then uh, beyond beyond, uh, 2016, to have decided what the future is, and bearing in mind that uh, the sacred science, campaign for science and engineering, has been going for 25 years now. Um, Within that, those broad objectives... Uh, for the next couple of years, I think, how do, we, how do we answer the question, well, how will you know whether you're being successful? Um, so there are um, some particular success factors that we have a set for achievement in the next two years. And, and the first is to see again the appointment of a chief social scientific advisor. Uh, it's very interesting, uh, this week... Um, the Scottish executive uh, have issued an advert, or about to issue an advert for a chief uh, scientific advisor in Scotland. And it actually says in the advert that only may physical scientists apply, but social scientists may apply also. And and that is, I think, a very significant development in thinking, and we would like to see that um, brought into Westminster. We um, want to be uh, giving submissions and and giving evidence regularly to parliamentary uh, select committees. We did submit evidence um, on uh, the uh, departmental scientific advisor consultation that the House of Lords Science and Technology uh, Committee have been running. Um, Paul Wiles, who uh, was the previous Chief Social Scientist, is actually on the Campaign for Social Science board, as, you see, as you'll see in a moment. And Paul Wiles was asked to give evidence. Um, and our submission was quoted um, uh, in the discussions. And um, so uh, already uh, there's a, a committee beginning to take notice of um, what we are saying. Um, case have a regular meeting every year with government to talk about, um, and to talk with ministers and so on uh, about the state of uh, funding for the physical sciences, and it is our objective to, in two years, be uh, in a get ourselves in a similar position, although support for social science is more diffuse um, than that physical science. I think the the next thing to say is that um, is to be really to be accepted that UK social science is crucial to the government's, the pursuit of the government's own agendas um, as Michael said, a, a sort of growth is very much coming into play now as um, a, a key agenda for the government and maybe not quite so much big society um, but is to be able to argue um, that social science is important for the achievement um, of these agendas that the government has set. Um, we've spoken earlier about longitudinal uh, studies and um, key data there, and uh, we would say that the birth cohort study would actually um, referenced, uh, as, as you may see, Um, in the launch event, um, a favorable outcome there may in part uh, have been due to the public comment that was made in front of the Minister um, at our launch event. But there are other uh, opportunities too. And certainly we want to create an expert database for media comment, and we're well on the way to that. Um, uh, Some of you here may have responded to our call um, we've got something of the order now of uh, 80 people um, who have offered themselves uh, for, uh, a, a, as a resource for media to draw upon for comment on particular issues. And we are creating uh, on the website a media center where journalists and, 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 and the like can go um, to, if they want particular comment on various issues. Um, funding postgraduate uh, social science teaching and research um, there's probably um, no need to sort of dwell on that given the audience here um, there is I think though something about social science capacity and capability um, in UK academia particularly at the moment um, it's quite interesting that how uh, universities are responding at the management level to changes, uh, perspective changes in the funding regime. And we have been very fortunate to have secured the support um, of a research assistant at the University of Northumbria. And she has, through the deans of humanities and social science group, um, she has been conducting a survey uh, of universities in relation to what is happening to social science on the ground um, in terms of capacity and capability. And um, we would hope to be able to publish the results fairly shortly, but the the, the main message is that um, there is a sort of fog at the moment where um, various universities are wondering how to respond on social science. You see some uh, reducing some uh, social science capacity, others investing in it, um, and others um, taking um, an informed view um, of uh, the direction which social science will take and possibly investing in uh, more in the applied uh, areas of social science. So... Uh, We intend to conduct that survey every uh, six months uh, and to monitor and then be able to comment publicly on what is happening to social science uh, in the universities. Um, We would like to be um, in a position through our activities to ensure that social science education is valued. Um, There are all sorts of people who recruit social scientists uh, for careers and um, Uh, I think that we need to be arguing more strongly of the benefits of the social science education. Um, And um, and I have to thank uh, Chris Caswell, who is here on my right, um, for the last one, because he made the point um, uh, to us that um, there is an election coming up um, in 2015 And uh, by 2030, we need need to be speaking to um, (coughs) all the political parties and ensuring that um, the manifestos contain social science and coherent social science of that. Um, Who's involved? This is the campaign board. Um, it's chaired by Tony Crook. Um, Michael Harlow uh, is on the board, and uh, a range of other people, from government, from uh, re- research, from uh, policy areas, um, and also from learning societies. And it's quite a diverse board um, we try to capture as many different perspectives and disciplines and approaches. Uh, as possible, but uh, I think um, the key message there is one of uh, capability and diversity. Uh, Who else is involved actually on the ground? Um, We have Bill Salisbury, um, who some of you will know uh, was um, Deputy Chief Executive at the ESRC um, as a campaign advisor, David Walker, journalist, uh, Guardian, also um, as a campaign advisor. And uh, thanks to funding so far, we've been able to make um, some modest appointments of people um, to uh, actually deal with um, either press or sort of day-to-day administration. What's been achieved so far, um, some highlights for, for you. Um, a few weeks ago, we um, organised a conference uh, on recent riots, and this was a conference that um, could have been sold out many, many, many times. Um, there was a huge, huge uh, demand for the conference. Um, it, was a day, it was a day conference bringing together um, people from the various social science disciplines to offer particular perspectives uh, on the recent riots. Um, and to broaden um, the discussion of uh, the riots uh, beyond, uh, I think, what was the government's early comments of criminality um, and and police behaviour. So um, that was a very good and helpful uh, discussion. Um, There is a video of the entire day um, it's a very big file size at the moment, but if you would like to um, have, have a copy, then please let us know and we'll try and get it to you. Um, I've referenced the submission and the evidence given to um, the Science and Technology Committee on uh, Scientific Advisors, and I've referenced to the survey um, on Capacity and Capability. Um, Other things, though, is that um, Audrey Osler and then separately Elizabeth Meehan have been writing um, fairly sort of accessible articles on what can social science do for us, um, and and they are worth a read. And whilst all that's been taking place, we've been um, continuing to launch booklets in the series called Making the Case for Social Science. Um, They are the blue and very multicoloured uh, booklets that you um, have have available today, um, and many more are planned. Um, and these are bring together sort of vignettes of social science research on particular topics. The launches are always at Westminster. Um, we are fortunate enough to get ministers or former ministers, um, and they are normally very good political uh, type debates. How have we been going around getting support? Well, we've been running a number of road shows. Um, we've already done quite a, a large number before uh, today. Um, so, when I say that the signage here was particularly good, those are some of the comparisons you can make. Um, and there are more uh, to come Northern Ireland uh, in the early part of next year. And uh, we're just about to conclude a date for um, Kent uh, to Canterbury. So, we've been going around the country to audiences similar uh, to this, um, to uh, make the case for the campaign. Now this is where we come to the um, the sort of money bit, um, but not just the money bit. Um, There is an associated development appeal. Uh, The Academy of Social Science, which has sponsored the campaign, um, we don't receive any public funding whatsoever. We don't have, we have a journal called Contemporary Social Science, and it's a good journal, and the issue that's about to come out is on crowds, which seems very relevant, but um, the academy is funded entirely by, almost entirely by membership subscription, Um, and there aren't the resources uh, to um, fund also a campaign. So does need to be um, additional funding of capacity if we are to raise our game considerably um, beyond current levels. And this is where we sort of need to be in in terms of building income uh, in order to provide uh, the resource um, over the next uh, five years. And you'll see that we set ourselves a target of raising £75,000 this year, we have commitments now of about £80,000 with more to come, um, and so uh, the first year's target has been secured, but you'll see this will stretch um, in future years. Where have we got the money from um, so far? Well, I'm delighted to say that every member uh, of the Academy's Council has contributed personally, Um, and also we have 50 individuals who are contributing on a personal basis um, and there's also the opportunity to claim gift aid. Uh, Our publishers have been very supportive. Six publishers have contributed, um, principally money, but other uh, forms of supporting kinds as well. 14 of the Academy's 43 learning societies have so far contributed. Um, and a major plank of the campaign, of the funding, is um, to have support from universities. And I'm delighted uh, that eight um, who we've approached, and we can only, through resource, approach universities sequentially. Um, the eight that we have approached thus far um, have all uh, contributed and committed support. And I think it does need to be bare, to be borne in mind that there are 75 universities who support uh, campaign science and engineering uh, every year. Charitable trusts are a source of funding, but they want to see evidence of commitment by the membership, um, uh, first of all, and that's where we go back to individuals. Finally, how can you help? Um, we do need to increase the capacity and capability of the campaign um, I hope that I try to show you what we can do on existing resource, but we do need to lever, leverage that up much more. Uh, and to do that, frankly, we either need supporting kind, people giving time or their talents. Um, and for earlier career people, is often seen as um, career enhancing, CV enhancing, um, either in terms of writing for the campaign, um, being prepared to initiate and hold local events, making videos um, uh, is of particular interest at the moment, uh, and such like, and then the other strand really is um, to register with us as a supporter and to be prepared to make a donation, and it's amazing that a few pounds a month does in fact go a long way, um, and um, it is often not greatly missed in the overall scheme of things. So, Um, That's where I want to end. On your uh, desk I think have been some material about the Academy, um, a campaign leaflet which looks like this and tells you uh, all the various ways you can, either in writing or online, contribute uh, to the campaign and I hope that you will both um, be interested enough to take a copy away with you. And then uh, later on, have staff actually do something about it uh, and convert the intentions into action and uh, sign up for us.
4: Thank you you very much. And just to further demonstrate our organisational skills, copies of Stephen's slides will be available outside so you can pick them up as you go. I need this way. We're um, making a podcast of the discussion and presentations today, hence the uh, the need for this. I'm going to open the floor in a moment for general discussion and questions, but first of all, I just wanted to say a few words from the perspective of the University of Bath, And in particular, I want to focus just on two issues, employability and the relationship between the social sciences and STEM. Michael's already talked a little bit about that, but I wanted to add to that a little bit. So on the employability side, social sciences is a very important part of our subject mix at the University of Bath. Our Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences has about 3,000 undergraduate and about 2,000 postgraduate students. Our School of Management has about 1,000 undergraduate students and about 800 postgraduate students. We're a partner in the recently launched Southwest Doctoral Training Centre for Social Sciences with the Universities of Exeter and Bristol. In fact, if you put Bath, Bristol and Exeter together, the Southwest is something of a powerhouse in producing social sciences research and social sciences graduates. Now, as we all know, graduates are facing a pretty tough labour market at the moment. But our social science graduates are still achieving very good employment rates, with 70 to 80% of our graduates going into graduate study or employment, and their salaries are typically a little bit above the national average. Our graduates work in a range of areas. They work in government and public services, education, social care, human resources, marketing, media, NGOs, industrial sector, I could go on. They work in all sorts of different places. Now, one of the factors that makes our graduates so good, as well as the quality of the teaching that we give them, of course, is the placement experience. About 65 to 70% of our undergraduates take part in a placement, typically a year placement as part of their degree. We have a very well-established placement system with some fantastic opportunities for students. One of my favourite examples was going about five years ago to a meeting at the Treasury and being greeted by one of our economics undergraduates who was there for their placement. And I could give lots of other examples. Last year we had um, a student working with the Metropolitan Police on the British Crime Survey. We had another student at the Home Office collecting data on knife crime. We have a range of fantastic placements. Our students want and they value those placements. But perhaps more to the point for this discussion about the value of social sciences, the employers want our students. They want them for placements and they want to employ them when they graduate. They want people with social sciences, knowledge, skills and ways of thinking about the world. That's a very important part of this campaign, I think. And social sciences also wanted and needed more widely. In my role as Pro Chancellor of Research, I'm responsible for the university's knowledge transfer account. Now, this is a three million plus grant from the Engineering and Physical Sciences Research Council, which we have in order to translate science and engineering research to practical use, to use that research, to exploit that research in some way. It might be new products, it might be improvements to existing products, it might be new ways of doing things, a whole range of things. That we supported through the knowledge transfer account. Now, I personally have learned a lot about science and engineering in the process of doing this. It's been quite challenging for me as a social scientist moving into this area, and I've learned a lot about the challenges that scientists and engineers face in making an impact with their research. Um, But what I've also been struck by very often is the importance of social science to this work, and Michael already said this, the importance of social science (laughs) In many of the things um, that the STEM subjects are seeking to achieve through their research. So this might be about wanting to change behaviour, for example, to get people to live in more energy-efficient ways, or to encourage the adoption of technology to meet social needs, assisted living and so on. Or it might be and often is about the need to understand the politics and constraints on political and social change. How do you get your research findings into the policy process? What's important in the politics? Of social and economic change. Social Sciences, I think, is at the heart of many of the grand challenges that we face as researchers and as citizens, and there is to my mind a very necessary link between Social Sciences and the STEM subjects. We shouldn't allow these subjects to be seen as being in competition, for funding or for legitimacy. We should see the connections between them. And I would hope that's something that Bath, with our mix of subjects and approach, could really bring to thinking about the campaign for social sciences. How do we make those links and how do we ensure the importance of that? Thank you. I'm going to um, now open the floor for any further comments (coughs) and uh, questions or discussion. Who would like to start? So We've got about half an hour, so uh, Richard. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it, they were
5: very interesting presentations, I, um, and as somebody who started in the natural sciences and is currently doing a doctorate on Regulational Technology, it's interesting to bring these things together. Uh, there's nothing I would disagree on, but one of the things as somebody who was sort of looking at the social sciences from the outside before stepping in, uh, and with a sort of policy background, is um, Peter Carrington, Lord Carrington's famous question that he used to ask at almost the end of every presentation when he was Secretary of State, uh, in the Foreign Office, was and so. You know, he, the, the, the famous stories are civil servants would come with him with the policy proposals, and his question would simply be and so. And one of the feelings I have is that often social scientists are not good at anticipating the and so question, putting their research into context. Uh, one of the challenges in the Foreign Office used to be to not have Peter Carrington ask you the and so question. And I think that if there was more attention on that, some more contextual thing. I think social sciences will do a lot in its own benefits. and I just wonder whether that's something useful to communicate to, to people doing research on it. Yes, I think it is. Uh, I, I think it's... Uh, well, one of the things that's
1: going to be quite interesting, I think, will be whether the impact agenda in the REF changes, and because the way this is transmitted is through universities, is through the academic staff. And I think, I'm wondering whether the impact agenda will uh, produce something of a change in attitude. I mean, I, I think that actually 20% of funding for this is quite a significant incentive towards mm-hmm. behavioral change. And I suspect that there will over time be a change. My daughter is um, a classics lecturer and you couldn't get much further from making a practical impact than that. Um, I just read something, she's, she's working with a group of doctors Using Homeric poetry to ex- to examine themes of grief and loss, you know, I mean that's a sort of imaginative thing. That I'm sorry, I blame the family trumpet. I didn't mean to. But I think it's quite a, a splendid example of how maybe a younger generation, because she's a junior university lecturer, has come up in a different culture. They begin to address these issues. At least I hope so. Ross, did I see you?
0: Um, yes, yeah, so well, I couldn't agree more with both what you said about um, links with the STEM subjects and what's just been said about the links with the humanities. And as an interdisciplinary person myself, area studies, I think it's very important that the social sciences shouldn't be seen as being against the humanities or against management or against science and technology. And I'm afraid that's what this government, previous governments, have been forcing us to do, the competition between universities, between departments, between subjects, and I think we do need to see the connections between them and not, I mean, the government's treating social sciences and humanities equally badly.
1: I mean, Stephen, I want to mention something that we are doing at the moment which relates to this.
3: Um, Yeah, I I think the first thing I want to impress, um, which is a lie to your question, is that Um, the campaign for social science is a campaign for social science. It's for (coughs) it's not against Um, and people sometimes say well you're against the cuts in Um, this is not a campaign against the cuts. It is a campaign for social science to raise the profile Um, but it is one that recognises that although we have a particular constituency of social science, uh, recognizes the interconnectedness and interdisciplinary nature um, of most issues um, need to be considered fairly on a sort of very broad um, basis. We are seeing uh, John Beddington who who is the chief social, um, is the chief scientific advisor to the government um, in uh, 10 days time. Um, and it's very interesting. I sort of referenced earlier that there are some like two dozen um, departmental scientific advisors um, but they are nearly all from the stem subjects and One of the things we want to be talking to him about is how that broader perspective and how the linkages that you um, suggest can be achieved by having a broader spread of uh, disciplines represented at scientific advisor level. So I think it's something that we are very conscious of. We're not against um, anything, we are for social science, but
1: social science in its broadest possible context. I should tell you that when a few years ago, some of you may have met Bob May, who was Lord May, who was the rather outspoken Australian chief government scientific advisor, and Bob used to say, Social science is very important. Far too important to be left to social scientists. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: um, now that we've got warmed up, no, I've got a list of names,
4: so we'll take a few comments here. Um, so, over here first. Yeah. Um, in, t- in terms of linkages, could you say if there's anything going on in, that you're doing with FE colleges or, six, or sixth forms or, s- or teachers in terms of students and feeder routes through GCSE's A levels into social science at degree level? Yes. Yeah, it's good hold that thought. Um, Jeff, I think I saw your hand. Um, thanks.
6: I, it seems to me that one of the. I wanted to engage with the common sense problem, if you like. It seems to me that one of the problems that social sciences have as an image is in relation to their methodologies and, and evidence. <laughs> um, in particular, I mean, if I take an example. From development studies, very interdisciplinary subject, very wide range of methodologies used. But the chief research advisor in, in the government in department of International <coughs> development comes from a medical background, and his his attachment to evidence-based um, knowledge for policy is very strongly dominated by positivist. Forms of methodology in social sciences. And it's very difficult to convey the, as it were, the case for qualitative, ethnographic, anthropological, uh, etc., forms of uh, inquiry and, and evidence building. And I think that's a particular challenge more generally, and why, as it were, the social sciences suffer from the common sense hurdle, as it were. More bastions, you? Yeah, well, it's just in line with, with, with actually the previous uh, comments, which which is we, we should absolutely not profile ourselves
1: as being against and uh, from psychology. Sorry, um, as against STEM. I mean that that that, is, that, that would be very uh, very unwise, and and I mean in psychology we we are our natural. Uh, the funding niche is ESRC, and that will probably remain the case. But we are we are very much also successful in looking at EPSRC, for instance. I mean, there's there, there's so much to do for social sciences, uh, in the sense of you know you, you can build machines, but people have to use them, and, and, and we we can we can help to do that, in a in a good way. So so I mean, there's, I think that that needs to be promoted. I think very much. That's. Uh, like to, to, to agree with. Michael, do you want to come to us? Yeah, I'll, I'll pick up a couple and if Stephen to pick up the the uh, further education sector one. Um, on the last point, um, uh, when, when I was at uh, Salford, I helped set up something called the Centre for Sustainable Urban and Regional Futures, which is a group of very good social scientists working on sustainability in urban contexts. Actually, a very significant proportion of their grant funding has come from EPSO. so I'm very familiar with that. We actually have good relations with the Campaign for Science and Engineering. In fact, Stephen went to talk to them, God's sort of advice on how we should proceed. Um, I think when it comes to sort of lobbying, we're going to fight our corner for the social sciences, as they will fight their corner for the STEM subjects. But actually, my view about social science research is much the most interesting problems are at those points where the disciplines intersect. Many of them are in the modern world. And I think particularly in terms of making the case for social science, it's those areas that we have to be present in. That relates a little bit to the issue of of quantitative, um, qualitative social science. What I'm going to say you may not agree with, but I think that we have to raise the level of um, ability, the the quantitative skills of our social scientists in this country. And I happen to think, because I was very involved with helping to get the British Household Panel Survey off the ground when I was at Essex, and that led to the development of a huge amount of expertise in longitudinal studies. Under that big umbrella, a whole variety of initiatives have flourished, including something called QualiData, which is the archiving of qualitative data. So I actually think those two things go hand in hand. I think if we can raise the profile generally with which social sciences is viewed, then all sorts of other things become possible. I mean, it was very interesting that a little clip you got from David Willits, he talked about the need actually for social anthropologists, for example, to understand culture. So so I think if we can make the case generally for the social sciences, we can make the case for excellent social science across the board, whatever its methodology, and that's the best the best way to go. Again, we don't want to polarize between the sciences and the social sciences. We don't want a conflict within the social sciences between the qualitative and the quantitative, it seems to me. Some of the most interesting work combines both. Stephen
3: Yeah, I mean, in in relation to um, sixth form colleges um, and uh, other uh, other um, places of education, particularly for sixteen to eighteen-year-olds, there is a uh, association called the Association of Teachers of Social Science. And um, at their conference in Birmingham in September, uh, we presented the campaign to them. Um, and agreed to work together on how we can um, make sixth formers aware particularly um, of the benefits of the social science education, um, both in terms of uh, subjects to be studied um, and taken at A-level, and particularly other sort of career opportunities. There there is an issue about resource capability um, and... Um, when you launch a campaign, everybody has a very high expectation of delivery. Um, we are trying to build it up, but we do need uh, the funding in order to do that. So um, there's a long way to go uh, in relation to further education, um, and, uh, but we've made a start on it, and the Association of Teachers Social Science um, are indicating to us that they would like to partner, and we are in various discussions with them. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Thank you. I've got to go.
1: Yes,
4: over here, and I'm going over here, and then over here. I've got another three collected.
2: Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> I must admit, as a social scientist, I was trying to analyze your intervention plan as a social scientist. And um, when I looked at your external objectives, I said, oh, this is a problem of social representation. You're simply looking at the general societal conception of social science. But when I looked at your critical objectives for 2011, there was a mismatch, that it wasn't the same issues. And I could recognize these were very specific targets that you had, but I thought, oh, well, these guys are, what they're really interested in is getting the ear of government, and I thought, well, great, this is an important thing to do, but why should I send my two pounds a month or whatever to, to support that? And so, then I started thinking, well, and. Believe me, I would be delighted if more social science was was being used in government decisions. But then you also hear stories about how uh, departmental officials have to rewrite their reports to uh, get the data to say what the politicians already believed, et cetera, et cetera. And so once we get past the kind of rosy, optimistic, how enlightened view that knowledge is going to improve government, we we realize the political processes continue to run, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so then I start to think, well, you guys will get so caught up in trying to persuade the politicians of the importance of, of scientific evidence that some of the social scientists back here on the ground who also believe in the critical function of social science or the fact that there are pluralities of views. and I noticed that there was your brochure here, we're going to speak in one strong voice, and I thought, well, within even one department, there's one (laughs) strong voice, (laughs) and so it's just a small plea that maybe is part of the public (coughs) diffusion project to also point out that, that there's a genuine value in the plurality of views, that I was thinking when you were reading up the statistics, that's perhaps reflecting uh, a working environment in the UK when people were allowed to think critically and in diverse ways, and if we move into a more policy-focused, everything very instrumental, I wonder what's going to happen to those kinds of citation statistics. So, just the last illustration walking in this morning, I was thinking about I've never seen them, but I always hear this reference to David Beckham studies. And uh, I think they're always used as trying to show the frivolity. But I I could imagine some of those studies are quite important, showing uh, social relations and uh, maybe looking at a specific case, but in fact revealing quite important uh, ideas. And so it, it might be, I hope there's a little bit of room in the campaign also, to pr- promote the idea of the kind of diverse ways in which people are working in social science, and not all of it is necessarily instrumental, but those critical and analytic functions are, in fact, quite important in training people to look at things from different perspectives, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Thanks. That's a bit of a social science application to the campaign there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, building from what the Provost Chancellor was talking about, with the relationship of social sciences uh, and the different STEM topics, is there, is there an idea, a goal, perhaps a notion for creating a science, technology, and society type group or a kind of working committee? I mean, we're all committed to death in many ways, but something along those lines, because I, I do know that there would be people who would be very keen in doing something like that, myself included, which is why I'm asking. Um, but you'd certainly find individuals across institutions from the north and the south, in various research units, groups, and departments uh, who would come together, I know, and work in those, those areas. Uh, and if it's not been proposed, I would like to propose it and suggest you consider it. Can, can I just piggyback on, on that question? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I think it's an yes. excellent,
0: excellent, absolutely excellent question. Um, and, and, and it ties into something that I've been thinking throughout the presentations, and that is, Why is this a separate activity for the Academy of Social Sciences? Why is it not something that the British Academy is actually supporting? Why is it not something that actually the Royal Society should tap into and support? Why is it not something that the Royal Academy of Engineering should tap into and support? And the reason I would say that is that if we could only get those giants... Leviathans Um actually on board. We wouldn't be needing to scrimp
2: and save the money because actually they've got uh, an enormous amount of adoption. Well, uh, kept, 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 there's, two,
1: there's two big questions. <laughs> let, me have, let me have a stab at both of them and I'll pass it over to Steve. As well. On the first one, the question of, I mean, you post a lot of questions about the nature of the <clears throat> dilemmas that we face. Do we go for an elite versus a mass strategy as one? Do we do something that's trying to suggest we're only making the case for social science in terms of policy relevant research? Worse than that, do we get tied up with um, trying to in some way provide you know, working in favour of, uh, uh, of policy-based evidence rather than evidence-based policy? Mm-hmm. I think we're aware of all of those. I mean, sometimes in life, there isn't a solution to all of those. You have to manage the difference. On, 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 the, on, the, on, the, on the question of the leap versus the mass strategy, one of the things we need to do is to get more resources into promoting the public understanding of the social sciences. That actually takes quite a lot of money. Um, we have to try and work in ways to get some leverage to try and get the funding to do that. I mean, ultimately, I hope that we can establish a substantial enough reputation. We might get ESRC funding to do that sort of work, for example. So, in a way, you're sort of led to try and influence the decision-makers, first of all. But I think there is, I mean, I did say deliberately in my introduction that the Campaign for Science initially didn't just concentrate on an elite-led strategy, but was genuinely concerned to raise the public understanding of social science. And so... You know, we're contributing to the SRC Science Week, so we need to do more of that sort of thing. On the question of falling into um, uh, you know, policy-based evidence, one opportunity there which we want to open up is actually giving evidence to the select committees, which I do think for their limitations are proving to be you know, really quite effective in beginning to throw light on the working of government, expose their weaknesses, and they, they are as, they are, the committees, I think, are interested in the evidence, frankly. So that's one major area that on. the question of the um, science and society, uh, one level, what I'd like to suggest is maybe, Glenn, we could have a discussion after this meeting with you, with you and others, about how we might move that forward, because I think it would be very interesting. But let me just say, I think, we haven't really talked to the Royal Society about this, but I get the impression from everything I know about the Royal Society that actually we may well be able to develop some links with them. I have to say the British Academy has a much more. Are there any FBAs? <laughs> any FBAs? Right. Some of my well, best friends are FBAs. I can some of all male. We have <laughs> or white. There are a few women, yes. <laughs> not many. We have persistently sought to engage the academy in the campaign for social science. Persistently and consistently. And I have to tell you that some of you may know Robert Jackson, very nice man, who's the chief executive of the BA. Very positive, the staff are very positive, but they don't make the decisions. And it's proved to be impossible. I sit with the BA on a thing called the Strategic Forum for the Social Sciences. I have which is a very interesting forum which brings together the BA, ourselves, government, ESRC and the major private foundations funding social science. There's a lot of useful discussion on there. After two years on the forum I just managed to persuade the BA, who produced the secretary, to actually create a web page for the strategic <laughs> forum, to give its, to list its terms of reference, to say what it does. And to make the, some of the very good papers which the BA produced, because they have the resources to produce this, available more widely. So hopefully, within a few months, if they don't prove to be let me down as so they have in the past, you'll be able to access some of the very good analytical work on the strengths of the social sciences and humanities, is actually done by the BA. Well, they don't tell anyone about it, particularly they don't tell the social science. It's frustrating. So we want to do the outreach, but we don't have the resources to do the basic work. They do the basic work, but they're not interested in the outreach. it has got to be a joint and, somewhere. And all the time, you meet friends. I mean, all of you have got friends in the British Academy. You will know when you meet them, say something about the BA, they all tend to say, rather yes, it's awful, isn't it? Yes, it's terrible, isn't it? We should do more, shouldn't we? So what are you going to do about nothing? (laughs) Sorry.
3: I think it's worth worth adding that um, I I was talking to the previous president of the BA, and um, I was talking to her and I was talking about advocacy for the social sciences, and she played it back to me and said dissemination and I thought that that little exchange captured the essence and the cultural differences of where each uh, organization was, was coming from. One talking about advocacy and another talking about dissemination, much more passive um, and reactive. There, there is the issue um, that uh, those that are in receipt of government money and very substantial sums and the British Academy has something of the order of 26 million a year, um, have to be very careful, and we acknowledge and accept that. But that does constrain their behaviour. Whether it constrains it as fully um, as uh, seems to be the case at the moment, I don't know, but that is a feature. But we are very much more about advocacy rather than dissemination.
4: I'm aware of time, but I've got two people who didn't catch my eye earlier, so I want to give them the last two questions, and then we'll need to come to a halt. So that's Rajni and then Tim. So Roachie.
0: Yeah, I was very interested in the fact that in your booklet you have, um, we must promote and protect the values of social science, and mm-hmm. I value that very much because in so much of our discussions on the seismic transformations occurring in higher education, mm-hmm. the word value is noticeably absent. But at the same time, it just raises and opens up some very, very thorny um, questions. So it would be interesting to know how you would respond to a member of the public that comes to you and says, well, what do you mean by the values of, of social science? And Tim?
7: Yes, my name is Tim Mays. I'm a chemical engineer, so I'm a STEM interloper here. <laughs> um, I, I, I would uh, suggest that we can be very creative about how we can link social, political political and economic sciences with with the physical sciences and the engineering sciences. And I think you could do that at undergraduate and postgraduate level. At undergraduate level, there are opportunities to insert, if you like, social, political and economic sciences units, mandatorily in in some science and engineering degrees. That's often a bit of a problem because these degrees are very tightly packed and it's often difficult to free the space Uh, the vice chancellor and the, and the pro-vice chancellor may remember the last week where there was a dinner, we over a glass of wine or two, so I'm not quite sure how much it was fuelled by other things. But an idea was, one idea was, we, we've heard from Jane about replacement uh, opportunities that we have above which are industrially related, but there is, there may be, and this is quite on the back of the backpacking calculation, which chemical engineers are prone to do, is saying, well, why not offer a year? For these students who may not want to go into industry, who may think of go straight through or may not be bothered, to do a year maybe of social, political and economic science. To do a whole year, come back, finish their degree in science or, or engineering, and they would graduate with a pretty compelling set of academic qualifications, although they might not have the industrial links. And the other side would be to at the postgraduate level, we have doctoral training centres, which are now a model for postgraduate training. Why not have a doctoral training centre that address the issue of uh, bridging the gap, if I put it that way, between science, political, economic sciences, and social, economic, and political sciences, with the engineering and physical sciences. You could have graduates from both sides, if I could put it that way, or you could have a training program at the beginning of the MRes, which is the often the first year of a four-year training center program. And
5: I think that there are lots of educational
7: opportunities at undergraduate and graduate level that we could probably pick up to, to educate the people who will then take on the mantle of trying to inform policy or to try to develop or link up with uh, local government, national government. So those are a few ideas that have been banded around, as I say, perhaps over a glass of wine, so I don't have a bottle of wine. See what interesting
1: dinner table conversations <laughs> we have <laughs> <and laughs> cross disciplinary.
4: Um, very quick responses as times. Well, on
1: the values of social science, I think that, that deserves a longer discussion, doesn't it? But I mean, I think that some of the issues are we need to be open, we need to be critical, we need to be diverse. So a variety of a variety of issues there. I think that we need to to explore. We do actually have some people working um, on ethical issues in the social science, which is a subset of that. Which, are, if you email me, I'll put you in touch. On on the issues about the the link between yeah, making this between social sciences and, and, and science and engineering. I just make one quick point. I think one way around is to suggest that we design courses, we structure sort of joint courses and all sorts of things. I actually think a strong approach may be to think about substantive areas of work. I mean, I, I, I'm an urban sociologist by background, and I came in to urban studies at the beginning of the 1970s when there was large scale modeling of urban systems going on, a lot of people came into that, like, for example, Adam Wilson, who was, you know, the Vice-Chancellor of Leeds, from a science background. Likewise, when I was Dean at Essex, I mean, I'm afraid this is probably not a very good thing, but we had lots, we discovered, of course, we had lots of physicists who could look theoretical models, going and earning a lot more money than a physics professor in, in the city. More recently, when I was vice chancellor of we just dated a thing called Media City next to the BBC, which brings together social scientists involved in cultural studies, um, scientists and engineers involved in technological innovation, and creative arts people. And there are new mixtures coming out of that and new ideas. So, I think it's really Part of the trick is to actually think of substantive areas, substantive ground, which this collaboration. And I think that would then seize the interests of students and in terms of employability and so on and so forth.
4: We need to... You can tell our teaching starts it's at 2.15. <laughs> People yes, are starting yes. to have to leave, so um, I'm going to call the vice chancellor to bring proceedings to a close.
0: Can I, um, on behalf of everyone uh, who's attended the meeting... Thank Michael and Stephen for pre- presenting um, the work that's going on, um, and for their presentation of the plea for financial support. I'm sure that you've all registered that. Um, I think that the nature of the discussion that we've started to engage in here is something that probably we should continue within the university and to think about what we should be doing as a university, as part of the campaign, but also independently as a university is a very important thing for us to understand how we are going to take it forward, taking account of the points about the flexibility of the activity we're engaged in. Um, I really do think it's been a good start to that engagement with the questions. So will you join with me in thanking our speakers?